Brett Favre is a name forever tied to the Green Bay Packers with a 20-year career and a record 297 consecutive starts. He's now a member of the National Football Hall of Fame. I played every game like it was alive. I really did. The three-time MVP grew up in small town Kill, Mississippi, one of four kids, but he's known best for his 16 years in Green Bay, where he earned a Super Bowl ring and played one of his greatest games just a day after losing his father. I could have never have imagined the play that I did. Favre opens up about beating an addiction to painkillers. I'd be put, I shook every night, cold sweats. It was a constant battle. Sets the record straight on his departure from the Packers and responds to critics of his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. To what extent do you think you could have been a better mentor? Nowhere does it say that you have to take that guy under your wing and teach him the ropes. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. After you retired, you really didn't do much in terms of working out. And tell about the 5K you did, which is a little more than a, a three-mile uh, yeah, you know, run. How did you do on that one? I retired, and the, the following fall, um, I, was, I was enjoying myself. I was doing about what I thought I would do. But I was eating like I was 21 and in top shape. That being said, not like top shape eating fish and I was eating everything like I'll burn it off you know I'm 21 I'm fine well I, all of a sudden I got on a scale um, like around November and I had gained 25 pounds and I, <laughs> I, I mean I, I didn't really think I knew my pants had gotten a little tighter but I thought I'm biking and running and I, so on then I realized that regardless you got to watch what you eat um, I was watching it you know whatever but my wife and several of her training buddies um, that, that same fall, a year after I had retired, were, were running in a 5K here in town for one of the local churches that put it on, and there's 200, 250 people signed up. So, uh, so I drop her on the way. They're talking about the, the run, and, and I said, you know what? I think I'll run with you guys today. Um, and they were like, oh, okay. And I said, look, I, I, I don't think I can keep up with you. But I was kind of saying that like a little, a little braggingly, like I don't, I don't think I can, but, but I mean I can run nonstop. I said, how far is five k? And they said three point one. I said, no problem. Did you think you'd kick their? Ass? I didn't think I would, I would, I would beat them. I thought because I knew that they had been doing this over and over, but I just I thought, okay, I, I can run it nonstop. I didn't know anything about pace. I didn't have a Garmin watch. My wife had all this stuff. They talk in pace, and we're going. To, we got to start off doing this. I'm thinking, what's the big deal? And honestly, I was probably 50 yards into it. I, <laughs> as I think back, I, I, what was the first thing? What was the worst? And it was. It's a toss up. I thought I was going to have a heart attack, and my calves <laughs> were going to explode. And it was like, which one's going to stop me first? So I'm. So I'm running within my and. And again, I don't have a pace watching that, but I knew this was way too fast. <laughs> um, so I'm like, oh, you guys go ahead. I'm just going to kind of slow down. L little day. No, I, I mean, if I didn't slow down, I was going to die. <laughs> Bruises yeah. the I'm, ego I mean, a little I'm like bit. 50 yards into it, I'm thinking, um, this is awful. So I'm walking, you know, I, I got all these people passing me, and most of the people I knew. Um, little old ladies passed me. Hey, you're doing good, Brett. 
I said, thank you. And I'd walk some, I'd run. I'd walk a little bit and I said, well, I can run, I can do it now. And I'd make it a hundred yards and I'm like, <laughs> I just got done playing football like a year ago. I mean, I'm supposed to be an athlete. Um, I think the, the icing on the cake was like, I finished in like 48 minutes. Um, a lot of walking, some running. And 48 minutes, I, I couldn't tell you what a good 5K was, but that's embarrassing uh, for a, a, a not too far out of retirement athlete. But all these kids were past me. And I would, when I would run, I'd kind of pass the kids back up. But then I would walk, and then they would, you know, they were running the whole time. And, like, they passed me the last time, and it eventually beat me. They were like, oh, Mr. Brett, you're doing so good. Uh, keep it up. Keep it up. And I'm walking at the time. So I was like, you know... I'm a, I mean, that's kind of the way I've done my whole career. I mean, something has to motivate me, something has to challenge me, and I wasn't really challenged at that point. I'm done with playing. There's really nothing left to, to do necessarily. Um, I kind of told myself when I retired, and a lot of guys do this, it's like, I ain't doing nothing. I'm not working out. I'm not, I've, that's all I've done. I mean, you're paid to do that. You're told to do that, and if you don't, you get fined. And, and after a while, it's just it's work. And that's the kind of the way I, I looked at it. And then all of a sudden it changed. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to challenge myself. I'm going to see how fast I can run a 5K. Why? I just am. And aren't you working out more now almost than when yeah. you were playing? Yeah, you know, now I, uh, I enjoy going out, running, biking. Um, it, you know, you, you feel better. I, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm delaying the, the adverse effects that come along with, with playing and aging. I'd like to thank that at least, and I think a big part of it is the mental, the mental game that you play with yourself. But um, I, f I feel better. I feel a lot better Monday mornings. Or, you know, I think back to what it was like after a game. And it was, it was as I got older especially, it was, it was the recovery. I don't even want to say it was reco recovery. It was just about when you started feeling better, you played again. And it was just a snowball effect. And I don't have that anymore. And that's not to say that the, cumul the cumulative effect won't take its toll at some point, but I'm trying to keep that at a minimum. And I'll talk about that in a bit, but it's interesting. I'd imagine somebody who saw you when you finished playing and then saw you today. I mean, you're, you know, there's no gut on you, obviously, you're, you're ripped as, right yeah, right, you're, uh, you know, pr pretty ripped, and I'd imagine, and I mean, better, you I'm know, in better shape, shape right now, I know, when you and that's, playing. that's crazy, yeah. uh, I, why it's crazy, I don't know, I think because the, the consensus is that a lot of the guys, when they're done, they're done, right, and before they know it, they've let themselves go, like, we all do it, I mean, I did it, couple of years ago, I was 25 pounds overweight, you know, right. if you saw a picture of me then, you know, I had some puffy cheeks and I looked like I was enjoying chocolate chip pound cake, uh, which I was. Hey, hey nothing wrong with that though. No. When you have to, you know, oh, keep I still treat myself to, right. to ice cream or we went to a movie last night. I had some, some caramel popcorn and some Whoppers. And so I need to run today, by the way. Thanks for reminding me. So you were uh, uh, offensive coordinator of mm -hmm. the local high school uh, football team mm -hmm. here for a couple of years mm -hmm. after you, you retired. And I mean, you're in daily 
practice during the weekdays from mm -hmm. 2 to 5 p.m. You would have mm -hmm. games Friday nights, film sessions on mm -hmm. Sundays. Why do it? Um, sometimes I ask myself that question uh, because it was not overly time consuming, but I had to be there. Um, you know, I committed to doing it. So if I wanted to go on a three day hunt, I, you know, I couldn't do it. If I just wanted to, you know, ride the tractor all day, I, I couldn't do it. I had to, I had to stop at some point, go up and, and, and work with these kids. But I really enjoyed it. It wasn't, it wasn't something I had always thought I would do after I played. The head coach here, who's still the head coach, he's been a head coach in Mississippi. He's a legend. His name's Neville Barr. All the years that I got ready to go back and play and ESPN was camped out and all that stuff, all that footage was, was at Oak Grove. Mm -hmm. And Neville, years and years ago, was gracious enough to allow me to come work out there with the kids. Um, and I knew a lot of their families and stuff, so it wasn't like, oh, my God, you know, Brett Favre's here. I live in this community. I know most of these. I obviously know a lot of these kids now, but they're, they're families. And so uh, Neville was like, you know, it's good for our kids. Um, and I said, you know, it's good for me. It gives me, we would be running stadiums and, and these kids were killing me, but I was pushing myself because I didn't want to, you know, we beat Brett Favre. Sure. Now, you know, they did to a certain degree, but it was pushing me, it was pushing me. And it, and it also gave me uh, kids to throw to. Um, so, it, you know, uh, Neville would say, look, when you retire someday, I'd like for you to, to coach with me and be my offense coordinator. And I, you know, I would always kind of, oh, sure, yeah, no problem, Neville. No. But it, back in my mind, I was like, no way, no way. Um, and so uh, when I retired, he, he, he came calling. And at first I told him no. My first year I, did, I didn't coach. And then, uh, then he said, come on, you know, I really just – and I knew he was, he was getting to the latter part of his, his career. He'd never won a state championship, had gotten close. Um, it was a challenge. And I, you know, I knew the commitment, the time commitment. I knew it was not like college or pros where you're there from, from daylight to dark and then some. And it's a year-round job. So I said, okay, I'll try it. And I, and I just committed to, you know, to, to being there every day. And, um, Honestly, I didn't know what I didn't. In fact, I told Deanna like the first night. I said, I don't like the night before our first practice. I said, I don't know what kind of coach I'm going to be. I knew I knew football, but that and how you relate it to someone are two different things. Mm -hmm. You know how I digest things and understand it and try to relate that. To, you may go, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, you're not a good teacher. You know, so that was. That was the big challenge for me. Tell about the, uh, what you were told by your Packers head coach when you were a young Packers quarterback and how that influenced how you handled the situation with one of the young quarterbacks you were coaching. Yeah, um, and I, you're probably referring to when Mike Holmgren basically uh, put it in the simplest way. I was, I was good at times. I was not so good at times. I was up and down, and I can't remember the exact game, but it was in my second year, and the coaches more or less had voted, and I, you know, I, I don't know exactly how it went down, but more or less voted that, let's go with the with the other quarterback. And so, uh, Holmgren was like, 
you know what? I'm going to give him another chance. He says, Brett, you know, the coaches, we kind of want to, they want to go in a different direction. But I've told him no. That, and he may have been pulling my leg. But I think that's part of being a good coach, a good teacher. Uh, he said, I told him no, that I'm going to, I'm either going to go to the top or I'm going to go down with you. And collectively, we need to all have that mentality. So I'm with you. No matter what, I'm with you. So I just felt really confident, and I, and I started playing much better. That really happened my first year as a, as a coach um, here at Oak Grove and our, our young quarterback. Our last game, we were not going to the playoffs, but he had showed, he had one more year remaining, had showed tremendous upside, but he also had great kid. I love Kirk to death. Um, we had a lot of, a lot of fun together. But he, uh, they're ready to bench. I said, look, give him one more chance. One more chance. And let me talk to him. And they said, uh, okay. Because every coach had voted to, to let's, let's get ready for next year with the other guy. And I went and pulled Kirk aside and I told him, and I said, I, and I told him the truth. I said, look, they, they're ready to not only bench you, but run you off. You're whining, you're complaining. It's someone else's fault. You know, you need to decide what you want to do. If you want to play, I'm behind you. I'm going to let you play the second half. And this is your chance to show them what you can do. We're not going to playoffs. And um, he said, okay, okay, Brad, I'll, I'll do what I can. And he played lights out the second half. The following year, he has a great year. We win the state championship. And, and, in, a, and in a, it wasn't the same as winning the Super Bowl, but I really, there was such a reward in it. Um, that I never, I mean, it, it was, it was, it, there was such a reward in, in coaching those two years. And I, and I only stopped coaching because our daughter's is starting on the high school volleyball team and they play the same time. Right. You wanted to be, I wanted right. to be at every game. Right. And they play Tuesdays, they play Thursdays. Sometimes we had to go off for, for weekend tournaments and I wanted to be there. And, and I wouldn't have been able to had I, had I coached. So that was the only reason I stepped down. And winning that state title was, Far more satisfying though than oh, I would was, have ever expected. You know what? It was. Uh, it really was special. It, it had. A, it was different because I. You know I. I had one been a part of a Super Bowl winning right. team, and that you know that. It's hard to compare right. to that, but in a weird. Um, smaller sort of way, it. It felt the same. You know. Um, and that's, I think, from a coaching or from a teaching standpoint, that's what, that's why you do it. Not necessarily win a state championship. That would be great. But when you see that you make an impact on a, on a young man or young woman's life, um, in in a positive way, and and that you did something good, or, you know, just for, in, in a. A fraction of that is you you, coach a play or you coach one move or, um, just something, and then. They struggle to do it. They struggle to do it. They struggle to do it, and all of a sudden they do it. You you go, yeah, you know. They get it, you know. I mean, you feel like you're really doing something, and and that was so much different than when I was playing because I was on the other side of it. Maybe in the latter part of my career, I I looked at things like a coach, or as a coach, um, I wasn't as naive. I kind of saw things like when we played a team that I knew we didn't stand a chance of beating. I knew we didn't stand a chance of beating. When I was 25, I thought, we can beat anybody. And that's kind of the way you should approach it. But 
I looked at it more from a coach's standpoint. So uh, that may be the only difference. The latter part of my career was kind of like the last two years of coaching. But it was it was hard to be in a situation where I couldn't control anything. I, I could call a play, but I couldn't throw it. That was the tough part. And I find like watching my daughter play volleyball, I don't know anything about volleyball. She would crush me in volleyball. But I, I want to go out there and spike it for her, or I want to go serve it for her. I want to get that block. But you can't. You just got to sit there yeah. and, and be a fan. I want to take you back to when you were growing up. T tell about the BB in your brother's chin. Well, I always, yeah, I shot my older brother in the chin with the BB gun. And people go, oh, you did what? And I said, well, it was his fault. What do you mean it was his well, fault? I mean, I pulled he the wasn't trigger, the one pulling the no, trigger. No, but he let me put it up to his chin. <laughs> and it was an old Red Ryder BB gun. Um, and you could shake it. You could, you could hear if there were BBs in it. And there was, you, sh you shook it. There was no BBs. And so, like, when you would shoot, it was an air, you know, it was an air rifle. You, you pump it up. And it, if there was no BB in it, you pull the trigger, air would you know, pop out of it. So I said, uh, I don't know, I don't know which one actually said, let's, let's see what that feels like up against my chin, but I'm going to say he did. So I said, okay. And I put it up to his chin and lo and behold, there was a BB in it. And so he got shot in the chin. You know, moral of that story. Don't, every weapon is loaded <laughs> regardless. Don't ever. And that, you know, that's a good example, but better him than me. And of course, who got spanked for it? I did. When I explained to my dad, he, he wanted to see what it felt like with the air on his chin. And so it was his fault, but needless to say, I think I got beat with a black rubber hose. Well, you're the one that did shoot him with well, a I did pull the trigger, but I mean, it, I mean he, he helped out. He really. made, right. um, how did you once knock somebody out during a potato fight? I guess I had a pretty good right arm. Um, yeah, um, you're right. We were rambunctious. We were into everything. This one particular time, we were out throwing potatoes at at each other, and I wasn't trying to knock someone out, but I say a local neighbor. I mean, it was it was like a couple miles up the road was over, and I just happened to hit him the right place at the right time with a potato and knocked him out cold. And bricks at your brother once? My brother, my older brother, uh, you know, I, he took a beating from me. Uh, I hit him one time with a brick, had rushed him to the hospital, cut him up under his well, eye. I mean, this was intentional, wasn't it? I mean, well, you guys, I, you guys yeah, were throwing bricks BB at each gun, other. I was not trying to hurt him with a BB gun. With a brick, I was trying to hurt him. He and a, and a buddy <laughs> of his were actually, they were harassing me and I mean, they were trying to hold me down, beat me up, all this stuff, typical, whatever. And so I got away. I was actually going up the steps in our barn, and they were coming up. And I, I warned them. I said, I had a brick, and I said, if you come, I'm going to throw it at you. And they kept coming, so I threw it. And guess who got a whipping for that? I did. But I, I had no choice. End up in the ER a lot as kids? You would think so. I mean, my, my older brother and my younger brother did a few times because I hit my younger brother in the mouth with an aluminum bat one time and had to rush him to the hospital. Not intentional. Not necessarily. I knew clarified. he was there. Okay. But 
I'd forewarned him yeah. that we were playing baseball. You need to get out of the way. And he's running around like through a sprinkler, and he was he was a little over. He knew better, but he didn't know better. He he really did after that, uh, and just cracked him in the mouth, knocked all his teeth out, and had to rush him to the hospital. And my older brother was allergic to everything growing up. He's since grown out of all of them, but he was allergic to bees, cats, a lot of different foods. So I just remember one time there was a big red wasp nest under a, a window eave. And so he looks under, you know, and right away danger. And I looked at it and said, opportunity. And oh no. Smacked it with a broom and got him stung. And by, by the time we got him to the hospital, I mean, his head was like that big, you know, and I thought it was the neatest thing. <laughs> <laughs> but we get along great now. How would you describe the area that you grew up in? Um, very uh, rural, um, although it's growing some, uh, a lot more so today. But growing up, it was uh, the kill. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't. A, you didn't bike to your neighbor's house. I mean, there were people that had to ride bus, ride a bus, 45, 50 minutes to to school, and you may have passed three houses along the way. You know, I mean, it was just it was. It was out in the country, but uh, hardworking, as we kind of talked earlier about naive and, and not, not knowing what you're missing and stuff. I mean, for me, all I knew was football and baseball. My dad was a football coach. He, he, he was a driver's ed teacher at, at my school for 30 years. My mom was a special education teacher. We didn't go on trips. I never skipped school. Um, in fact, I went 12 years without missing a day of school. It's hard to miss when your parents are driving you to school. Um, and so that's all I knew. And there wasn't any other distractions out there. You, you dated your wife for 12 years before you got married. And I guess she kind of was part of the crew mm -hmm. when you guys were younger. Did you really have her jump off the second story into the shallow end of a pool once? She had no choice. Oh, Me and right. my brother, we. Right, I mean, we grabbed her by the hand, and the shallow end was the close end. So you didn't want you wanted to make it. So you take off running off off of our pool house, and you know, and I think back if my kids were doing that, I'd be like worried sick, thinking of all the things that I did. I mean, we would be swimming in the river with gators. I mean, not necessarily. There, if I saw a gator out in the river, I would not go out there and swim. But maybe three <laughs> days later, I would be. Okay. You know, I mean, but. <laughs> You and I now are thinking, that's, right. that's, that's stupid. Well, we're jumping off this pool house and we thought nothing of it. But now I think, you know, one misstep or, you know, you, you trip and don't, you, you fall and hit the concrete. But we didn't, you know, we didn't think that way. We just knew run as fast as you could, jump as far as you could, and you would be fine. And so we pulled Deanna with us and well, and you know, I go back to my brother being shot in the chin. She got up there, you know, so she, she sort of was willing. And then we just took her the rest of the way. And we, you know, she was always not necessarily up for whatever, but she reluctantly would, would try things. Your father, as you mentioned, was uh, the head coach at the high school you played at. What do you think you most learned from him? You know, the thing is with my dad, um, he may tell other people, boy, I'm proud of that boy. I never heard that. Um, I, 
I know he was proud of me, but it was almost like this fear of of being soft, you know, from his standpoint or from, from you know, uh, he had to be tough all the time. And even when I'd made it, you know, that, but that was okay because, I, you know, regardless of how I played in any game, I never, I mean, there were sometimes after a game I was like, you know, I played pretty good. I'm, you know, I may not tell people that, but I felt that way. Right. But even in those times, I would say, but, you know, and that, that was, that's what's tough about playing the game for me, or was tough, is at some point the expectations were so great, even I couldn't, that I placed upon myself. The better you play, the tougher it is to outdo yourself, if that makes any sense. Um, and that's the way my dad was like, after a game, I mean, that's the way I looked at my career and the way I played. I, I was always, I was never like, okay, finally, you know, I've arrived. I mean, that's the way I need to play. It was, it, I never felt that way. Uh, yeah, was I content at times, but I always pushed myself. So what he would do or say um, didn't really bother me a whole lot because I was still, you know, uh, internally was the same way. But I did, it's, at times would be like thinking, I wouldn't say anything, but I'd be thinking, you know, I mean, uh, a good job would be good to hear right now, you know, like, or you played well. Mm -hmm. But, it, oh boy, you know, it wasn't bad, but you can play a little bit better than that. Or what What happened on that one play? I'd be like, it might be 70 good plays and there was one bad one. And he would, he would bring that to light. I think part of growing up, uh, part of being a parent, is learning from your mistakes, learning from what your parents say, or as a parent, learning from past mistakes that maybe your parents made or said. Or, uh, I mean, he it was it was tough love. I mean, I, and he was a he was a coach first w with me, and I would say to him at times, like when I was playing high school football for him, I'd say, Dad, I think we ought to throw it some. Well, I think you ought to let me run the damn team, and and you just you do what I say. And I'm like. You know, kind of the gee thanks. You know, I wouldn't say that, but I'm like, if you want your son to get a scholarship, now I wouldn't say that to him. But I'm thinking to myself, surely he wants me to get a scholarship. He's got to throw the ball. But, but, uh, long story short, it worked out, and we didn't throw the ball, and that makes him look like. Well, right, it rocked me. except it did almost prevent you from getting a scholarship because you did have this strong arm yeah, and nobody could see it, it until, yeah, right. absolutely right, right. Uh, you know, right. to him almost was 100% guarantee, right. you know, it all worked out in the end and that's the way he, he looked at things that he didn't have to change his coaching style or, or whatever and, and I know, I do know that he he was not going to change, even even if it was for the better of the team. When it, in regards to his son, so he was not going to throw, even if it would have helped the team, because he didn't want people to think that he was playing favoritism to his son, and and that's wrong. Um, but you know, I, I'm not saying let's do what's best for me and the heck with the rest of the team. Um, but but you should. I mean, I mean, you should help your son out if he's the best player. And he, he but yet he, I'm going to stick to my guns. And it was a crazy thing. My older brother played for him. They threw it all the time. Um, 
And I was a much better thrower than my brother. He may say differently. But you think he was tougher on you? Oh, absolutely. And, and Scott, my older brother, and Jeff, my younger brother, would probably say the same thing. For whatever reason, I, and I, only he could answer that. Um, of course, he's gone now, but only he could answer that. I, I, my only, I, I just think that he saw maybe more in me, not anything against my two brothers. Uh, Scott and I were a lot alike size-wise, throwing. Um, I probably was a little bigger and, and maybe a little more physical than him. I was taller than Jeff. But maybe Dad saw something in me that set me apart from those two. I don't know. Um, and so maybe he was hard on me because of that. You were out on a golf course and you you know, didn't have your cell phone with you. Uh, your wife calls the teammate mm -hmm. that you're with and he turns to you and tells you the tragic mm -hmm. news that your mm -hmm. father had passed away, had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Monday night football the mm -hmm. next day that you're supposed to be playing in and are left with the decision of whether to play in the game or fly home to Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Why do you decide to play? It was easy. It was, a, it was a tough choice, but it was an easy choice, if that makes any sense. Up to that point, any, any conversations with my dad always involved football. As far back as I could remember, and as I look back at even today, if I saw a picture of me as a, as a child before, you know, I could remember, and I'd just see a picture, it has to do with football or baseball. Not working on the truck, not sawing down trees, not uh, you know, going to a business meeting. I, I, you know, what it was football or baseball, and that's that's what we did. That's who we were. That's what we talked about. And when I say that that's what he would have wanted me to do, that's the, that's the truth. And all the teammates, it was such an amazing moment in such a tragic uh, circumstance to see how the guys rallied around me and I really at that point really understood what a team and a family really was about. Um, now the tough part was I, I knew I, I needed to play, I knew I wanted to play, but I didn't want to play and play bad. I felt like playing and playing bad was not honoring my dad. Playing and playing at a high level was. You know, I could have never have imagined to play the way I did. Um, I was so fearful that I would just lay an egg, understandably so. I was more fearful of that, more so than the, that I would have played the way I did. And you, that's apparently the only game you've ever been really scared for leading into Yeah, you know, I th that was the by far the most nervous I've ever been for a game, Super Bowls included. Um, I think the only one that would be close would be Green Bay and Lambeau uh, when I was with Minnesota. But still, I, you know, the pressure that I felt to play the best I've ever played right after my dad died was, I, I, I can't even relate to you how that felt. And, and because of that, I don't think you ever, I don't think there's a whole lot of good that comes out of like a scared type of nervousness. I think there's, you know, there is a, a 
you know, a fine line there. And I thought I, I was on the, I'm going to screw up side more than I was on. It's okay to be a little nervous and, and anxious and excited, but I, I fell more on the, you know, I'm going to lay an egg. And that's, that's never a good, good approach. I don't believe you like giving speeches, but you asked the head coach to speak to the mm -hmm. team. What did you say? You know, I don't even remember exactly what I, I've only done that a couple of times as a leader of, a, of the team for 20 years. The guys that I played with um, would probably tell you Brett didn't talk very much. Now, when I played, I was probably more vocal. I was never a rah-rah guy, or, but I was always a motivational guy, but in the moment, not like prior to the game. You didn't see me call the team up and and give this Newt Rockney type of speech. It just wasn't my nature, even though I, I wasn't a quiet guy. Um, I, I would kind of turn into a different guy, like once, I was never controversial until a game. I would yell at a referee or, or get, get hostile, where if I saw the guy on the street, I, I would never complain about a call. Mm -hmm. That was just not my nature, and that's the way I was with, with, with speaking with the team. And, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think it was more, probably along the lines of, uh, I'm not sure how I play. You know, I, more or less what I told you, that I want to play at a high level for obvious reasons, but we still had a chance for the playoffs. I do remember that. We needed to win that game and the next game and need some help from, from other teams. So it was crucial that we won. And I didn't want to take away or distract from what our main focus was, and that's to get to the playoffs. And I think the guys that, that I played with over the years would say that that's, that's true, that his, his focus was the team. And so I didn't want to take away, but I needed the guy's help more than anything. I need your help to carry me through. I don't want to play and play bad and hurt this team. And you say, well, you had an excuse. I didn't want an excuse, but I did need their help. And that's more or less what I tried to get across. As the players are running out, you're playing Oakland in Oakland. The Raiders fans are booing player after player after player. Then you come out. Mm -hmm. What's the crowd reaction? Well, it was a, literally a standing ovation. And, and you're right. Even in the best of circumstances, for their home team, they don't get that type of response. Right. So I was, I was, I, and if Deanna was here right now, she'd tell you the same thing. the The response from the Oakland fans was, from fan. I mean, whether it was Oakland or anywhere else, it just happened to be Oakland, which makes it even more impressive because of how how tough they are. The 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 respect that they gave. Um, was unbelievable. We had a police escort after us because Deanna and I chartered a plane. We flew back to Green Bay. We got, it was right before Christmas. We got a, a Christmas present from under the tree. We loaded them up in a plane and we went to Mississippi for for the funeral and the wake. Um, so it was a it was a, a crazy couple of days. But so right after the game, instead of flying back with the team, we 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 went ahead right away, and they gave a police escort that would make. I think the president blush. I mean, it was it was that special. I mean, it was and that, so, and it started with the standing ovation as I run out. You know, and I've played in Oakland a fair amount. It ain't usually that way. So I I was truly thankful to. 
Yes, you, had, you had 399 yards, four touchdowns, one of the finest performances of your career. How much did that mean to you? Oh, my goodness. Um, it was better. What I had envisioned or how I had envisioned playing, which obviously was, was good, I, I had envisioned playing well. It was not so. I far exceeded what I had hoped. I would, how I would play, you know. I mean, there were there were some of the best throws. As I think back to that game, there were a couple throws that that would rank as maybe some of my best ever. Really, but there were also some that had no chance of being caught by our guys, <laughs> but yet they were, and so it was just one of those nights. You started for a record 18 and a half years straight in the NFL, 297 games or 321 games, including playoffs. What's the most difficult part of it? And I should say, um, that's the record that you're mm -hmm. most proud of. Mm -hmm. What's the most difficult part of doing that? Boy, I don't, you know, that's, I could give you a long list. I, uh, physically, you know, I would think if you polled 10 people, who knew a little bit about football and you said, what would be the toughest? You probably would get, well, physically, I would say from eight out of 10 would probably say physically, the demand that you face week in, week out, that it's some, somewhere along the way, you're gonna get hurt bad enough to not play. Whether you wanna play or not, but something's gonna happen. And I would say that that would be the case. I, the law of averages is gonna, catch up with you 18 and a half years. You sprain an ankle, bad enough, you tear, tear a knee ligament, you break a thumb. And I say that because I did all those. Um, or you, you come down with the flu so bad, you, you know. Uh, you, I mean, you would think that that, so that from a, I mean, there was times that when I broke my thumb, for example, I thought, I didn't thumb think, okay, the, the streak's over. Thumb on the throwing hand. Thumb right. on the throwing hand. Um, if you if you just asked me or said to me before I'd ever broken my thumb, if you said, you know, what would you think a broken thumb on your throwing hand would be enough to keep you out? And I'd say, well, absolutely. A thumb on my throwing hand? I mean, I'm done. Um, but yet I ended up playing and, and playing great with that. Um, a torn knee ligament. I, I can't tell you how many times I've hurt my ankle. I can't tell you how many times I separated my shoulders, had concussions. Um, but mentally, you know, in order to play that long, just say you withstand the physical part of it, it's tough to be good week in, week out, consistently long enough that they don't have to worry about that position where they just, you know, he's got that handle. If you go four or five weeks in a row where you absolutely suck, they're gonna they're gonna play someone else. They just they have to. You can't go in a slump for too long. And so I that from that standpoint, so physically if you're okay, it's being good consistently enough for a long time. Well it's interesting you say that because your brother has said before that part of the reason behind the streak is you know, if you go down, that gives somebody else an opportunity well, to start playing. at quarterback. And if you don't go down, somebody else doesn't have that opportunity. So how, how much was there that is sort of I motivation? Always, I always had the little man on my shoulder saying, remember how you played. 
you came in the game because the guy in front of you got hurt and no one knew who you were and now no one knows who he is and that's the way it works um, and so you need to always be looking over your shoulder and even when I had won three MVPs in a row from the outside looking in you may have thought that guy's not worried about his job I always was worried about my job because you're only I mean I was never I was naive and you know come across as old you know country dumb guy but I knew that you were a play away from never playing again and someone else comes in and their first throw is a touchdown and the crowd goes wild and it's not about you and how quickly they can forget you I knew that I, I knew that so I always reminded myself of that and always pushed myself and motivated myself to never I mean, if, if I could get myself up and come back and play, um, I didn't necessarily do it because I didn't want the other guy to play, although that was part of it. I did it because I loved to play, and I wanted the guys to be able to count on me no matter what, and I took a lot of pride in that. But I also knew that they'll, they'll forget you pretty quickly. Um, what expectations did you have for yourself when you entered the NFL? You know, my, I tell people this all the time. I played 20 years. There wasn't a day that went by in my growing up in Mississippi that I did not dream of playing football. But I never dreamed. All the dreams that I had about football were all, and not too many people can say this, first of all came true, but were far exceeded by what I actually accomplished. And that's, that's such an amazing uh, amazing thing because most people it's like you know I dreamed of this but I never got that chance or whatever for me I dreamed of, of playing in in the National Football League I used to I loved Archie Manning I was a Saints fan it was tough back then but I was really was a Cowboys fan I love Roger Stallback and I I was both of those guys I was out in the yard all the time I you know last second you know I was running around and um, I just envisioned being them running out on the field in the Superdome as a saint, uh, like Archie Manning did, running out uh, as Roger Stallback. And, and, and that's really what I dreamed of. I didn't dream of winning three MVPs. I didn't dream of playing 297 straight games. Um, I didn't dream, of, I, I, I did dream of playing the Super Bowl, but I didn't, uh, Pro Bowl, all those other things, I didn't, that, it, Hall of Fames, all that never crossed my mind. I just wanted to play. And, um, and then before I knew it, all this other stuff had happened. And so uh, my expectations were to always play. And whatever came along with it, came along with it. But um, so it, I mean, you know, it's such an amazing thing to say that you're, you out, you know, you, you outdid your dreams. How competitive are you? Well, I, I don't know how competitive I am now. I probably still am. It's just hard to, you know, how do you relate that to playing in the National Football League? But when I was playing, I think that's what set me apart from, from most of the guys. It wasn't that I was the tallest, the fastest, the biggest, the smartest, but I was the most competitive. I was 
determine, and that, it, you know, then that filters down. Okay, what does that necessarily mean? That, you know, you competitive is it's such a vague word. I I, I knew no one could wanted to win as bad as I I wanted to win. I just knew that, and and I was determined that whatever I had to do to win, I was going to do. If I had to block, if I had to hand off, if I had to throw, if I had to come from behind, if I had to work harder than the next guy, if, whatever I had to do, I was going to do. I, I, I heard a story um, that you challenged a, a teammate to a punt, kick, and pass contest, it was something a, it, outside of It was of a the, pass contest. A pass contest, uh, and he ends up beating you and you're furious afterwards. Well, actually, the one I'm thinking of, he didn't beat me. Okay. Uh, it was actually a good friend of mine, Billy Joe Tolliver, who was, we're still great friends today, and he was so much like me, it wasn't funny, because he thought he was the best. He thought he should have been a starter. We were both, he was second string, I was third string in Atlanta. And um, we were so much alike, we hated each other. I mean, technically we didn't hate each other, but we, we fought about everything. Mm -hmm. And he had a great arm. He did. Is there a downside to being that competitive? I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's a downside to anything. It worked for me. Um, it's, it's a little more disheartening when you lose something when you're so competitive because it matters so much to you. And the littlest things matter to you. You know, uh, and my wife is ultra competitive too. And so even when we're on teams, we're competing against each other, you know, and that's, um, so I think the downside, if there is one, is that when you're playing checkers, you, you love to play, you know, you love to compete, you lose at checkers. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not life or death, but you get the point. I mean, it's, but again, stuff matters to you and I think it should you know some matter more than others uh, winning the Super Bowl matters more than winning a game of checkers I would think but I think the the, the really good players I would say most of them are super competitive um, because it really matters to them it, not only does it matter winning or losing um, but, but being the best or being, being an impact player, being the one who, I wanted to be the one who had the ball. I wanted to be the one who made a difference or did make a difference. Of course, I wanted to make a difference in a positive way. I wanted to win the game. I didn't want to be watching. I, I want, as tough as it may be, I wanted to be the one out there who, who determined whether we won or lost. What do you think's responsible for your success? I think God, more than anything, um, you know, there's some things we can control, some things we can't control. And the good Lord had blessed me with, and it happens to a lot of people, they're blessed with something maybe that they know they have, and then in some cases they don't know they have. And it's, it's up to parents or, or a coach or a teacher or something to bring that out of them. And, of course, my dad brought that out of me, but I knew I had a gift. Um, I didn't know what I could, how far it would take me, but I knew I could throw better than anyone. Now accuracy and learning to read defenses and all those things had to come along with it but there's no one could out throw me and I was this little skinny kid it's like when I went to the LSU football camp as a 15 year old kid no one they walked past me and didn't think twice about me I was that big around 
Um, I had freckles. My knees were actually bigger than my thighs. I mean, I just, I came down and kind of did it like this. And again, I would be the one picked last on, but when I threw it, you know, the, everyone stopped and was like, whoa, who is this? And the, I knew that set me apart. And in this determination, um, I knew that I had that I just never, there was never one day that went by, and I honestly can say that, that I didn't think I wouldn't make it. Imagine how disheartening it would have been had I not made it. Um, but, you know, I'm, there's, I, there was never doubt. That's the thing that I think about that is just as amazing to me, that, that not one day went by that I thought, you know, I mean, the chances are not good. I always thought the chances were good. You uh, mentioned your MVPs, and there's one year in particular I want to ask you about because as part of the preparation for this interview, I, I just found it like ex impressive and extraordinary um, what you went through and the fact that you were still able to have great success that year. You won an MVP, and then have success, continue have to continue to have success in the seasons after that, and that's 1996. Mm -hmm. uh, the first nine months of the year were presumably really tough uh, on you. Uh, you know, your now wife and daughter almost leave because of your mm -hmm. painkiller addiction. Uh, your sister was arrested for being in the car during a mm -hmm. drive-by shooting. Your brother drives drunk, gets in an accident that kills your close friend. Mm -hmm. What was the difficulty like for you involved with going through all that? Well, um you know, I thank God that I made it through, um, but I, you know, and I don't want to sound like, I don't want to say that selfishly because there were other people involved in all this that were directly affected or indirectly affected by the trickle-down effect, if you will. The one constant through all that was football, and it was a, for me, it was a good place to escape. Um, and, and I, I shouldn't say hide, um, but, but I was able to just, it was kind of like talking to someone when I played football. Um, it was rather, it's kind of like going back to, you know, talking about when my dad passed away. I, I would much rather have been playing than to sit in a funeral home. Uh, and that's just me. Um, it gave me a way to escape but also feel like I was actually doing something um, good, you know, or trying to do something good. I read the book you wrote many years back, and I, I was really surprised by how open and honest you were about the, you know, Vicodin mm -hmm. uh, addiction, which also, you know, 96, same uh, period. To what extent did you feel like at the time that you needed it to play well? I don't think I needed it. Well, I, it's been a long time, but I, I knew what I was doing. I knew that I didn't necessarily need it, but I, but I sure liked the way it felt. Um, and I knew it was wrong. Um, how did it feel? Well, I, with that, you know, I tell people all the time that I took 15 biking and ES at one time and they, they like, that didn't knock you out. And I said, it did totally the opposite. I was, I was up. I was, and and that's kind of the way with addictions too. I mean, you what it what it's supposed to do, it it doesn't. So when 
you know, you take two pain pills, you're knocked out, you don't feel pain, you wake up, what, four, five, six, eight hours later. I would be up and just talking and just, I mean, I was, I didn't want to sleep um, until about 10 o'clock the next morning when we were in offensive meetings. It was about the only time I wanted <laughs> to sleep. Not a good time to want to sleep. And and I'd doze off, leaning back into the, uh, like a coat rack in our quarterback's meeting room. And so, I mean, I, it was, uh, and this went on for a long time. It wasn't just 96. Uh, How long? I mean, that's, when, that's when people knew about it right. because of the announcement. Um, I don't know. I mean, it started three years before, maybe. I mean, I, I was taking pain pills before that, but maybe not abusing them. How long were you taking 15 a day for? You know, I don't remember how the, how the, the dynamics of it worked, but say two gave me an effect that I liked. After a month, it, it, two didn't do anything, so you needed three, and it may have been less than that. Mm -hmm. um, and then four, and then you know, made so on and so forth. And I, again, I don't remember how long it took before you had to graduate up to to more. But I knew that fifteen was hard to come by. Um, it's hard, know, hard to get well, access. Well, a month, to it. a month's prescriptions was is thirty. What is it? Thirty pills or something? You know, uh, depending on what they prescribe for you. And, and I was going through that in two days. Wow. So I was having to hustle a lot. You know, I. I'd ask this guy for pills and that guy for pills and that guy for pills and you know I mean after a while it got you know I was going back around pretty quickly. Did people start scratching their heads? I like thought no. What? I mean I was okay. the last one to know. You know it's one of those things mm -hmm. that no one knows what's going on. Um, but like my wife said, she goes, well, "Everyone knew," but I thought no one knew. You mentioned sleep. I, I think the, one of the side effects was you only sleep like hour, two hours a night, caused you to throw up a lot. You would uh, drink like gallons of water, yet you wouldn't even be able to. Uh, I can't. Pee, apparently. You know, uh, yeah. The uh, the adverse effects probably. It was probably good that I was 23, 24, 25 years old because right. you can you can overcome a lot because of your age. If I sleep five hours now, I'm terrible the next day. I need to, you know, it's right. harder as a 40-year-old or more to get a good night's sleep for whatever reason. You wake up, I guess you got to go to the bathroom. But, but now, not drinking, not taking pain pills, all that stuff, I feel pretty good. But even then, I, I, I think back and I go, wow, how in the world did I do it? What happened at the 96 ESPYs that made your wife confront you about it? I probably about like some of the other times where I just um, had, had had taken too many pain pills and drank at the same time. Not a good combination. Um, one of them is not a good, you know, is, is a good thing to do. Um, and just, you know, I can't, I, I, I vaguely remember that situation. Um, but I mean, it, I, I probably had promised her that I wouldn't take pain pills, and again thought I had everything under control, and probably was throwing up and and self-destructing, um, much like I had before. Uh, and I'd had two seizures after after this incident that you're talking about, 
One was in the hospital in Green Bay um, after an ankle surgery. And I woke up, all these doctors, and, and Deanna and our oldest daughter, Brittany, is like, it looked like, you know, someone had died. And I'm like, what's the deal? And they said, you just had a, a seizure. I'm like, for what? And then I had another one at our house in Green Bay uh, two nights before one of our games. And all this was a result of a lack of sleep, uh, which was because brought upon because of pain pills. So, I mean, I was getting, and I, I just remember meeting with all kinds of doctors and neurologists and, and it, not to sound like a doctor, but more or less what I was told was your, your, your brain is computer. It's, yours is short circuiting because of a lack of, of sleep. It's, you know, it's, it, you need sleep. And so I like to sleep as much as the next person, but I like the effect of pain pills more at the time. So I was, it was, you know, a dangerous game. And so the second one really, you know, you think the first one would scare you enough. Um, it was that, the second one. The second one scared me enough. Um, I thought because it wasn't that far apart from the first one. And one seizure when you're not a seizure person should be scary enough. But that that really struck fear in me. Had you quit? You know what? I'd love to give you some big formula on how I quit, but I just I had about four pills left and was trying to figure out how I was going to get more pills again. And I don't remember the day or the exact moment, but it was, you know, not long after, um, actually this, right before we won the Super Bowl, somewhere in that, in that time frame. And I just, I mean, I had kind of hit rock bottom. I mean, I, I, I don't say, I shouldn't even say kind of. I mean, I, even though things around me seemed like they were good, Internally, I, I'd hit rock bottom, and I, I said, I'm going to flush these down the toilet, the remainders. And, and, and I remember when I poured them in the toilet and it started to flush, I almost crawled in the toilet to go after them because um, I thought, what in the world did you just do? I mean, I just had such a dependency on those. And it's not, I was taking 15 a night. Um, any expert would tell you, that's not the way to wean yourself off of. You sh you should start with twelve, maybe and then ten, and slowly decrease. I just went cold turkey, and I'm not, I don't say that braggingly, but I know that that was the worst month as far as any kind of recovery that I've ever went through. I shook every night, cold sweats, and just it was a it was a constant battle. Um, much like when I quit drinking, I just, a month or two of what I do now. And then now I can't believe I ever drank. Um, so, you know, there's that window that if you can get past, that's the way I look at it, if you can get past that hump. And, and it's different for everyone. But you can do it, you know. I mean, it's been so long that I think people who are close to me, even with, with, almost say, you know, it wasn't that bad. People um, have forgotten. Well, I mean, it's been over 20 years, you know. Uh, drinking is, is closing in on 20 years. I mean, I quit in 98. Um, haven't had a drop since, haven't missed it. First couple months I did. But, but now, I mean, 
you can drink, but I mean, it doesn't bother me. When, I don't, I'm not going to drink. I don't want to. I'm not going to. I can say that in front of you or when I'm by myself driving home. I don't say, well, maybe one. I just, I'm to a point where I'm, I'm beyond that. I've had, it's been a long time ago, but I had my wisdom teeth cut out after I'd quit taking pain pills. And I wanted to take pain pills. Oh, that had to be hard, right? That was extremely hard. And I'm, that, was, that was probably the toughest test I'd ever had. My mouth hurt so bad, but I, I just, and you know, I think you, you gain, you gain something in those times. I don't recommend, you know, putting yourself through those struggles all the time, but, but when you win those battles, you become stronger. And I can't tell you how many times after games since I had quit taking pain pills that I, it crossed my mind and I was like, nah, you know, it just, it wasn't, I mean, I, I had, I had the upper hand on it by that time. Obviously, there's only increasing talk about concussions and long-term side effects of having played in the NFL. What do you remember from blacking out on the final snap of your career? I just remember when I got, there was no pain. Um, guy pushed me. We were playing the University of Minnesota, playing in Chicago, harmless. You know, I'd love to, to say that the guy hit me hard, but it, it was just a push, and the field was solid ice almost, hard, cold. Threw a little swing route to the left. The guy pushed me, and I just kind of slipped, lost my footing, and I fell over and just hit the left side of my head, which that's probably been done thousands of times. And the next thing that I remember, I was snoring. Our trainer had came out on the field, Eric Sugarman, we call him Shug, and He's like, hey, buddy, you all right? I was kind of laying on my stomach with my head on, turned to, to my right a little bit. And I was snoring. I was taking a good nap. And, and I, he says, you all right? And I said, hey, I was snoring. Kind of like he woke me up. And he said, I know, buddy, you had a concussion. And I thought, no pain, nothing. It was just, in fact, I kind of warmed up a little bit. I was freezing before then. And I got up and I kind of looked over and I said, what? couple of bears, Erlacher and Lance Briggs, three of those guys were clapping. I said, what are they doing here? And I think I took one step towards the, the bear sideline and Shook said, oh, come over here with me, buddy. And went straight to the sideline. And I said, let's go on into the locker room. I figured after 20 years, I, I should be able to say what I want to do. Went right in, took a shower, put my street clothes on, got a jacket, got a hot chocolate and a chili dog. And I never looked back. Never missed it since. How many concussions do you think you got during your career? Here's the, here where the problem to me lies. Uh, not that it really matters at this point. Uh, what's done is done. But what is technically, or scientifically, or or medically, a concussion? We know when you see when you see a guy or a boxer, for example, get knocked out, that's a concussion. But what about when you get hit and like in football, a lot of times you don't you don't know it. I, even I'm watching now, and I, I may, can, I may, I say I, I think he might to myself he may have had a concussion. You'll see a guy get up, and it's when you know bells are ringing a little bit, or you you know like flash bulbs are going off, and that's stuff that people don't see. You see when someone's out cold and they get up and they they don't know what sideline to go to. That's easy. I guess my point is of the true. He's got a concussion where the outside looking in knows two, three, maybe, maybe. But what about the ones that I got up, ran the next play, 
you never thought anything of it, but you know, the old saying, bell was ringing. Endless, endless, uh, no telling. And my understanding, as we, we find out more about those, the toll of those may be even greater than the, the big ones. Um, but again, there's nothing you can do about it. How concerned are you about the long-term side effects? It, you know, only flying. when I do interviews like this. Okay. Uh, when us dumb media types you know, bring it up. I, I jokingly say, but, but that is partly, there's really not a whole lot I can do. Worrying, as I tell, or we tell our youngest daughter all the time, no sense in worrying about something you can't control. Right now, you know, there's no sense in worrying. I mean, I, I feel, I, don't, I can't say I feel normal. I don't know what normal, but I feel pretty good mentally and physically. And so uh, across that bridge when we get to it. Aaron Rodgers, he has, you know, made it pretty clear that when you guys were playing, when you were the starter, when he was the backup, you guys really didn't have much of a relationship. Why, why do you think that was? That's not uncommon. Um, you know, I, I'm much older than him. I shouldn't say much, but I'm considerably older than him. And um, what he does and what I do are different when you leave the building. Uh, his likes are different than my likes. And But I would always, if I was watching film, which I watched a lot of film by myself, and I can remember on numerous occasions, hey, what you watching? Oh, come on in. So, you know, I wouldn't say, hey, no, I, that, that's just not me. Um, you know, I never felt threatened my job, although I knew that at some point I would not be the starter in Green Bay. I knew that. Well, well that's the, I guess, the question that some people would have. Do you think there was any hesitation on your end to be closer because you knew this was a guy that was brought in to ultimately take over for you? No. Okay. No, I, I really didn't. Um, when, when they drafted him in the first round, that was... Um, that was usually that's usually a good sign that they're preparing for the the end and the beginning, if you will. How did you feel about it when it happened? I was surprised it took that long, really, but I but I was proud of the fact that it took that long. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of first round picks come and go at different positions, but quarterback was not one of them. Um, so I was proud of that. First round pick comes up, they don't pick a quarterback. wasn't like I was like yes. I just didn't think twice about it, um, and and that went on for a long time. So the one constant was I was going to be the quarterback, and quarterback, and everyone was okay with that. And that was a good feeling. To what extent do you think you could have been a better mentor to him than you were? I think I was. I think a lot of it falls on you know I, th I don't know what the consensus feeling is of the general public in this regard. I mean I, I've kind of been asked this question. It's been talked about in the past, and I don't know where the, the the present starter, like myself in that case, um, is is paid to be a mentor, so to speak, or if that's part of the job description. I don't think that that. Well, I think there's a misconception. Maybe there's a misconception. I don't know him or anyone else anything other than in my opinion, being a nice guy and being, being, uh, you know, thoughtful and all this, but I, you know, I don't have to give him any insights to what I do or don't do. 
And I have no opinion in this argument, but there are some that would say, well, I, you well know, you're, you're the legend, the face of the franchise. Well, I, it should be on you to why? be the one reaching out. Why? I ask that, why? Well, he's a young guy, doesn't maybe have the confidence to go up to a, a Brett Favre. And I, I think as a starter, my job's hard enough to win ball games yeah. and, and be a leader. And I, and I, I'm not, you're not a babysitter and, and I'm not by no means talking about Aaron, but as he, I mean, he's the starter now. So the next quarterback comes in, whether he's a first round pick or third round pick or a free agent, but they like him. Nowhere does it say that you have to take that guy under your wing and teach him the ropes. It, you don't have to do anything but win ball games for whoever it is you're the starting quarterback for. Ultimately, that's what keeps you around or doesn't. Right. That's the bottom. Whether or not you take a guy under your wing means really nothing. Um, and so, it's, you know, I, if, if there is a, you know, a belief out there that I did not help not only Aaron Rodgers or help other players, first of all, that's wrong. To what extent did I help him? Heck, I don't know. How does that compare to other guys across the league? I don't know. Um, How much do you think all of it's just been fed by the media? I think most of it is. Okay. You know, I, you know, and 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 I could be a lot of stuff. Um, controversy sells. It, you know, it, it. It's interesting. You know, like the two guys that get along and work well together. Who wants to read about that? Right. Who cares? But the two guys who are giving each other the finger and, and talking bad about this, that's, that's what we want. You know, so I think that in, in that regards, yeah, I mean, the media fuels a lot of it. Well, and it's interesting you say that, too, because it leads in perfectly to this topic and that being retirement. You know, you have to wonder how much of that was really fed and progressed by the media. But why do you think you went back and forth? so much there's no way i can explain to you the feeling because it's only happened to a few guys but when you're 40 years old 37 38 31 whatever and you lose a game like peyton lost or i lost against new orleans um the last thing you want to think about is football even though that's the only thing you're going to think about unfortunately um, you're going to think about what you should have done how you could have done it the redemption part of it comes to mind like we were so close I know but do I want to put myself through that again and and have heartbreak yet again do I do I want to go through do I want to start over and do all this again and then you then you stop and you go and can I do it daily and physically like I want to do it you retired and then June uh, 2008 you call the uh, Packers head coach up and say you want to come back. Uh, what was said on that call? Um, not a lot on my end. Mike was not too happy, um, but understandably so. They had gone in a different direction, as you would imagine. And I threw a kink into the, the whole situation uh, because the off season is not necessarily off season you're preparing for next season and you're you're kind of correcting and doing all the things that happened the previous season. Well, you can imagine I'd been there 16 years and 
now you're shifting gears. I mean, this is a big deal and going in a different direction with a different quarterback and probably a philosophy to a certain, uh, certain degree. So that was more or less what, you know, Mike was saying in his way. And of course, there's two hard-headed people on the phone. I felt like I could still play and I was wrong for retiring early, but I should have known and he should have known. That was my, my thought process. How much did you feel like you were forced into making your retirement Well, at the time, you know, when you let your emotions, place. rather than stopping and thinking, um, which is what I should have done, you don't, you don't do that. And I, I can only speak from my end. I should, I should have st stood my ground and not retired early. Mike wanted to know, and that's as, his, as the head coach of the team, uh, or Ted Thompson's job as a GM, I think rightfully so, they need to know which direction they're going to go in. But there was nothing in the rule books that said I had to give them an answer. Um, until the day of the training camp, quite frankly. I could, day of training camp, say, you know, I decided I don't want to play. That'd be kind of a cruel way to do it. You know, like, you could have told us early so we could have prepared for this. Or, you know, I could retire early and, and then have four months to think about it, and then all of a sudden, right when training camp starts, I could go, you know, I kind of want to be there. I remember saying, Mike, you know, if you, if you really want an answer, right now I'm not 100% committed. I cannot commit. If you want to know right now I'm not 100%, can I get, be all in? No. Could I be in July? Maybe. But that's not an answer that was, was doable. So I don't blame them. I mean, yeah, there was, it was, it was, it was bad for a while and uh, pointing fingers and all this stuff. But, that's really how it went down, you know. I mean, there was a better way to handle it, um, but it all worked out. What was said in that several-hour meeting that you had in Green Bay? Well, you know, again, I I don't want to stoke the fire because it's it, it is what it is, and everything is 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 fine now because time heals everything, and and I think for me, I felt like I, I admit that I was wrong, and it and it retiring early but and they were I was okay with the fact that they wanted to move on in a different direction I really was but I felt like I think for me it was like I'm not good enough to play here but I'm too good to play against you mentality is what I, I, that's kind of how I felt that you know they they didn't want to cut me because anyone could pick me up um, and yeah I could I could compete for the job in Green Bay, which was, that was fine. But I just felt like I, I was not going to play there because they had already gone in a different direction, if you know what I mean, even though they were not going to cut me if I put them in that position. And, that, and I was, again, I was wrong. And so that's kind of what we talked about in that meeting. And there was no easy resolution, put it that way. It's catch twenty two. You know, you damn, you do damn if you don't. And I saw it more from just a selfish standpoint. Like, what? Well, just, you felt. I mean, based on the success you'd had there, and for the fifteen plus years you'd had it, that you'd earned that yeah, right. Yeah. And in the business world, that's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah, you may have been our best salesman for years, but you know, you're getting old. You don't move around like you used to. 
um, you're good, but we have to kind of we can save money and see what our young guy can do, or we can hang on to the old the old mare and so I mean, but it's all good now. It really is. You uh, end up going to the Jets, play one season there, then play two seasons for the Vikings. Before the final season with the Vikings, I think you retired, then you unretired. There were three uh, Vikings players, I think, that in August fly down to see you here in Hattiesburg mm -hmm. uh, to try and convince you to uh, come back. Why ultimately decide to come back? Well, you know what? I... I we lost the Saints in the championship game. It was devastating. I was beat to hell. Um, it was tough. But boy, we were close. I mean, really close. Part of me was like, it's impossible to have this year. But then there was this other part of me that said, if you, if you don't go back, you're always going to wonder, what if? And that is true. You know what people would have said? Had you come back, we'd have done it. We'd have gone, you know. We'd have gone to the Super Bowl, and I would have wondered what if. Well, by going back, yeah, it was it was not a good year. <laughs> you know, we didn't even have a winning record. But by going back, there is no what if. I will never have that looming. So I'm glad I went back. Um, I wish the season would have ended up differently. But I know now. I know there is no. If you'd have came back, we'd have won. Your mom, and I, I love her because you read all these articles and she's a, a great quote. Uh, she said she thought you should have retired after the final year in Green Bay. Um, what do you think? You know what I think? Um, it doesn't matter. And I, I say this to, to like when I was coaching kids or to our youngest daughter all the time. I'm like, really? Because people will say, and you may, or or, or at least heard people say, like, if you could go back and you could do, people do that. And I, I'm one of those that goes, I don't even want to go there because you can't do it. It doesn't matter. Whether I should have retired or not, I mean, that's not even for her to say. That's her opinion. But the bottom line is, I didn't. I played three more years. You had that we know. Your best we don't know season, your second to last season, and, or one of your best. And you know what? That's that's what matters is what you know what happened, not what we think could have happened or should have happened. That that really doesn't matter. So I don't even go there. What made you really realize it was time to retire? Um, well, I knew at 20 years that if I'd have had another good year. There would always been this boy. You still got a little bit left in the tank, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, um, because the effect that it takes on the body and mentally, just over and over and over again. At some point, you got to stop, you know. Um, and the competitive spirit was always there, um, but I realized my last year, more than anything, and I got hit a bunch. It seemed like the really tough hits, but I realized um, I didn't like them. And for 19 years, I don't want to say I like getting hit, but it really didn't bother me a whole lot. I, in fact, I kind of thrived on it. Like, oh yeah, that's all you got? Well, the last year was like, I didn't like that. You know, and I didn't have an, a lot of fight to, to prove them otherwise. 
Um, and so when I would get hit, I, I would probably bounce up, maybe been a little slower. But what I was thinking mentally was like, the, the 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 benefit or the reap the reward the the you know the ups and downs whatever you want to say or or not in the this is okay favor you know it's 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 more of the I don't particularly like this I don't whether we win or not I don't know if that offsets you know getting beat up um, it just I was started the way way in the pros and cons, and every time I got hit, I was like, "Okay, I could throw a touchdown pass after this." I don't know if that really outweighs the the physical part of it, but it took 20 years for me to feel that way. I uh, read an interview that you did, and you were asked for like the favorite moment from your career, and I thought what you said was interesting. You said it would have to include the interceptions, mm -hmm. uh, the you know, and the tough losses. Explain why. You know, it's. I, I I just don't look at my career and think of the good. Uh, you know, unfortunately there was some bad, but I but I think that's what shapes us. Uh, you know, into the type of people we are, the character and the type of player. If I was in 20 years, if I never lost a game, how would I really know what winning? A, a big game or coming from behind or a Super Bowl or, or how would I really appreciate what that felt felt like if I've never experienced the down because then when you do you really appreciate a last second throw or a season in which you you endure and, and you're, you're fortunate enough to, to win a Super Bowl or you do some unbelievable things that that early in the year or the previous year seemed impossible. If you win every game, how do you know what impossible is? Or possible, I mean, it's just, if you, it's kind of like giving your kids everything, giving them everything. How will they ever know what hard work and um, having to go without something is, is really like? Uh, last thing, your foundation. How did the idea come about for it? Well, um, in a nutshell, the Anna, the foundation, we collectively, we, we joined forces. She had breast cancer, so she started a foundation to help women with, with breast cancer uh, in a lot of ways. And our group, our collective foundation, which we, we merged and was initially to help disadvantaged children, and we were in Green Bay at the time. Um, in Wisconsin and Mississippi, which we still do that. And Deanna still helps in any way she can with breast cancer um, awareness and, and treatments and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's taken, taken on a life of its own, but it's been around a long time and it, it's really been rewarding. I'm proud to say that we've given close to $9 million um, to, you know, just the different the people who've needed it, and um, and we're really proud of that. You mentioned the nine million dollars that you know has been donated through your foundation o over the years. What's it like for you when you see the impact that that money's had? Well, that's what it's. That's really what it's all about. Um, it, to see 
you know, it's like, it's like going back to coaching and it's the same way. And when you give money to, to various, uh, charities, um, or, or, or individuals to think that you made some sort of impact in that way. Um, it's, I can't, you know, it's hard to explain. It's hard to, to tell you what that feels like. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to kids on, um, on the phone and then f find out several days later or a week later or a month later that they died. And like this young girl here in, in Mississippi, her name's Sarah Pearson. Talked to her several times on the phone, talked to her on her 16th birthday this, this past fall. Um, she was diagnosed with a rare condition that I can't even pronounce. And it happened virtually overnight. And I was, I was made aware of it through our foundation. And 16-year-old girl, call her. She sounds, she sounds like my daughter. She sounds fine. And told her I'd keep praying for her. And she said, oh, you're so thoughtful and kind. Come to find out a short a week or two later she died and you know um, that's that's tough but she wanted to talk to me on the phone you know why I don't know but so I know that I do make an impact on, on people's lives and uh, and that's important to me and to see that um, that that's such such a special thing to people really means a lot really a pleasure thank you Thanks for listening to the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger. And visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Graham Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.